Hey guys, welcome back to the detour. Did you miss us? Probably not, but we're back anyway. Uh, it's been obviously a pretty big week since uh, we spoke to you last. We've had obviously the Criterium de Dolphine. Uh, we've got Tourist Swiss about to get underway. We've got Tourist Slovenia. Uh, there's a lot going on uh, and there's a lot to unpack. So we've got a big show. We've got uh, Aussie Luke Roberts, who's the sports director for Team DSM. He's going to be joining the show. We'll talk about his career, talk about the build-up to the tour, and uh, obviously... Matt White, our regular contributor, he did an interview with my man, Johnny Trevorrow, a little bit earlier, four-time national road champ. And uh, Iffy, there's, it's been a good week of racing uh, with the Dolphin at the moment with, uh, obviously, the Aussie connection, Richie Port in yellow. Well, I've, I've missed the podcast, but I've missed you too, Dan, you know, because oh, you're, turn it up. You're, in, you're in Melbourne in lockdown. I mean, it's a long time I can get out and about, so I can't even, you know, say hi. But anyway, it's all good. Um, oh, look, I, I'm excited. I'm excited tonight. Here we are. We've got Richie Port in the yellow jersey on the Dauphiné, and the Dauphiné, huge event, uh, you know, the number one lead-up event for the Tour de France, and he is firing. Uh, and not only him, four Aussies in the top in the top 20. So we've got three in the top 10 uh, and House and think 17. So um, Jack Haig, who's looking very good, he's in fifth and very impressive, Ben O'Connor. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to, to get into all of that. But um, I think we should bring in our very most regular or irregular guest. Yeah, I'd say most regular guest, Olympic gold medalist, Scott McGrory. I know he's hiding in there somewhere. Well, most may say irregularly. I'm happy that you say regular, though, John. Thank you. <laughs> well, we just wanted to beef it up. Obviously, the Olympic gold medal adds a bit of clout. Now, if you won a bronze, didn't you, at Commonwealth Games? Yeah. I'm, I'm Where is it? Go, go, um, I think it's somewhere in the foundations of a apartment block uh, in uh, St Kilda Elwood. Oh, no. Oh, no. We're just another story there. Guys, a guys. iffy story. Guys, I've got a bad news. Bad news. Someone's What's just that? commented. She said, bad timing, guys. It's from Cheryl. We're on an African safari with Phil. Oh, we and we were supposed to go, but I got my broken ribs, so I couldn't do it. We were supposed to lock into that. Oh, that's bad. But we are promoting it. Um, oh, that is terrible timing. By not being on it. <laughs> well, I had to break my ribs. Yeah. Yep. K-A-R-I-E-G-A dot co dot Z-A forward slash Peloton. And, John, you, you were organising it. I was just following your lead. I, I've had a I full even, gas I weekend. Full gas come back to me and uh, uh, with some information, but I with my broken rib, I couldn't ride. Uh, but uh, And then, you but know. Th you could, we could have watched it. I know. But I really I feel very embarrassed. Okay, well, this is a great start to the show. Welcome back, folks. The detail. Sorry, Phil. Sorry, okay. Phil. Well, I think we should just try and bring the mood up and bring on our uh, first guest. Let's just shift the focus. That's always the best thing to do when you're under the pump. And uh, if you're big on intros, you're going to have to redeem yourself because you've screwed up the Phil Liggett ride. Uh, what can you say about our next guest? Well, our next guest uh, has been uh, living in Europe for a long, long time, maybe longer, uh, and uh, got to the German family now. Uh, Luke Roberts, Olympic gold medalist, um, 
I raced with his dad. I remember his dad and I had a, a great duel in a, in a tour of Tasmania, uh, and his dad also ran second in a, in a, in a Sun tour to, to, to Peter Bosanko. But Luke Roberts, yeah, one, one of our uh, great stars, as we say, Olympic gold medalist on the track, but also a seriously good road rider. Uh, and uh, I remember one tour to France that he rode where he was the where his team had the yellow jersey for quite a while, and he was very instrumental in, in keeping that uh, with, with with the squad. So. Uh, let, without further ado, let's bring him on. Luke, yeah, can you hear us? How are yeah. you, mate? I'm all good, thanks. <laughs> thanks for joining the detour. It's um, obviously been a pretty big month. Uh, obviously, we've just finished the Giro. Um, you must have been pretty happy with uh, the performance of your team, particularly the Aussies. Uh, you know, in particular, Michael Sora, Chris Hamilton. Um, it, it was a really good showing from the guys. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, a little bit unfortunate with Jai. Um, things didn't really go his way during the Giro um, and having to abandon. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Chris has done another another great Giro. Um, was really good also to see Michael Storer step up. Struggled a little bit early on in the race. And then, um, yeah, when when he, when he it come crunch time, when he was needed there to help uh, Romain Bardet, he was there and uh, also really strong in that last week. So great to see from Michael. Another great thing was with, with Chris's uh, second place in the stage that he's uh, had an opportunity to go up there fighting for, for a stage win and almost pulled it off. So also that was uh, great to see. Now, uh, as you said, really unfortunate for Jai, you know, second in the Giro the year before and hoping to, uh, to, 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 to work on that. But uh, the old saddle tour, you know, you say it like it's nothing with saddle tour, but nothing worse uh, than trying to run a grand tour with, with a saddle tour. How is he now? Yeah, on the road to recovery. Um, yeah, I think he's uh, yeah, he'll be back. I mean, his his whole um, early season was was set back with a bit of a bit of illness, um, a rebound from that, and then during the Giro, that saddle sore. So it hasn't been a, an ideal season so far. But um, yeah, he will also have some some bigger goals as the season continues. So he'll focus on those. Johnny, you, you said there's nothing worse than trying to ride a grand tour with a saddle sore. What about trying to ride six six days with a saddle sore? Remember the story I gave you a couple of weeks oh, back yeah. from out of the abscess and trying to sit on the seat in the velodrome? It wasn't good at all, mate. Had to cut a hole in the saddle. Yeah. Uh, the six dayers, though, six day riders used to get. The, the saddle stores used to affect them more than road riders because you'll get that in, extra, uh, you know, centrifugal force uh, of riding on the on the small tracks. So uh, obviously, it was a bigger uh, issue for six day riders than the road riders. Oh, look, it was, and look, Luke knows about it too. Like Luke was doing a bunch of six days as well. So we sort of crossed over in the time, like we came into the sixes just in the last couple of seasons as I was moving out. Um, but yeah, that was always one of the problems, wasn't it, Luke? And, and trying to balance. Yeah. the road and the track, which, you know, you were as an Olympic track champion and a successful road rider, um, that's pretty tough, isn't it, to try and get the balance right and you're getting paid to do the six days in the winter, which is your own money, but you've got a road team that doesn't want you to do the six days so you can freshen up for the road. Yeah, sometimes a little bit tricky to manage. There was um, yeah, some actually fitted quite well to, to add one in at the end of the season or, or one in the beginning to get that extra bit of intensity was... Uh, was quite okay, but to, to ride a full season of six days over the winter, then obviously that's going to affect your, your summer road season. So you had to pick and choose which ones would fit. And, um, yeah, there were some some seasons I actually did uh, did the full winter um, when I didn't have a – wasn't riding with a World Tour team or 
um, over the summer and, uh, you know, quite enjoyed it as well. So, um, I don't want to turn the show into Dr. Oz, but how do you manage, like, a problem with a saddle sore? Because can it create, like, boils or, like, growth areas where they just keep coming back? I mean, how do you manage this moving forward for Jai without having to go into too much detail because we're smack on dinner time? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm. Yeah, well, I'm not a doctor either, so um, I'll leave that that, that that business up to them. But um, yeah, I mean, as uh, yeah, rest, recover. I don't know if any sort of operation is needed, but um, have heard of it happen in the past. But yeah, it's um. That's what you had yeah. to do, didn't you, Scooter? You yeah. Well, so right. mine was yeah, mine was it started as a, a saddle saw in the Herald Sun tour. And then I went straight back to Europe and then went to, you know, a small track, 166-metre track in, in Denmark. And on the first night, that little saddle saw just went bang. and went up. It was like the size of half a, a golf ball. Um, and then that had to get cut open to be drained. But then you've got the challenge of whether you stitch it or not. And, you know, the instructions were don't have it cut too much that it requires a stitch. Because if you have to have a stitch in it, then you just won't be able to sit on the seat and ride. Um, so I had basically an open wound for, until it actually healed up and, and had to keep that um, as clean as possible. Once it did heal, I always started every six-day event with a new pair of, of shorts. And, and the track shorts that we used to ride, Luke and I and, and the six-day guys, were very different to the road shorts, much more padding in them, um, much more comfortable actually than the road shorts. And uh, and I'd have a new pair of those for every six-day. Um, I was smirking because I can remember uh, one of the sixes that I was riding, uh, I can't remember now, who had the big saddle tour, and he cut – a big hole in his seat as well. And uh, you see, when he'd be attacking, you have to see, have to see very gingerly when he sat back down on the seat. Uh, well, we've got um, Gary Tilly says, Graham Dawes from Wang many years ago said, you need to pot metho on your backside every day to toughen it up. Ooh. <sighs> I don't know about ouch, that. Ouch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, no, uh, hey, well, so my partner, Sandy, she did ballet up until she was 15. She was only talking about the other day. They used to soak their feet their toes in metho to toughen them up so they could get on the points and that's doing that is when they get on the tip of their toes metho was the thing that used to toughen it up i like how luke's come on the show in the first five minutes we talked about saddle sores you'd be thinking shit what's the next 25 going to be like and ballet (laughs) (laughs) this is a bit like uh your other podcast the uh social distance distance, which you gotta watch the last episode it was the funniest episode i loved it yeah yeah, yeah, well, we've got to so snip it later it on. Let's bring it yeah, back. Luke, yeah, yeah. what's the process now? You're only a, a few weeks out. You're not at the Dauphiné, but you are a DS or a team manager at the Tour de France. What's the process now that you're going through for these next few weeks? Myself, um, I'm working pretty closely with our sprint group. Um, so we're going, you know, preparing those guys towards the Tour de France. Um, my next race will be the, the Belgian Tour starting on Wednesday. Uh, where we go there with predominantly sprint group lead-out riders. Um, there's a, a final preparation there. We have a group, some riders uh, in the in the tour selection, um, uh, preparing over over Tour de Suisse. Um, yeah, and of course, some riders there with the, the opportunity to be in the selection from the Dauphiné as well. So, but uh, the, the sprint group will go over the Belgian Tour, and um, from that, choose our uh, our selection for the tour. Hey, Luke, one story that you told when we had you on last that I really loved and I've rehashed it many times afterwards was when you told Jai at the Giro, you got one job tomorrow and that's to go to breakfast and 
give the other boys shit or whatever, just to take the edge off. And we had Neil Stevens on Monday and, and it was all about the evolution of the sports director and you're really a manager of people. Um, how important is that for you, stuff that you're not going to read in a textbook about how to do the job at managing these guys, particularly at a race like the Tour de France, which can be stressful if, if you really buy into the bubble? Yeah, I mean... Um... Firstly, we, we, you've got to get to know the people, get to know the guys and what they're like naturally. And then you see if they're acting different at a race or not and how they react under pressure and you know, try to use ways to uh, to bring that pressure off them. Um, spending time with the guys at training camps has, uh, has helped me a lot to get to know them better. So last year I had two three-week altitude camps with, with Jai and the climber group going towards the Giro. So I knew what the real Jai Hindley was like. Um, and then seeing him at the at the Giro, then uh, quite uptight, stressed, under pressure, and um, yeah, just not giving his usual banter he does there. And um, yeah, so you you realise then that they're just uh, just yeah, not not being natural. Um, I've just just been up to uh, in Sierra Nevada with a couple of guys that are likely on the tour team with Soren and Tees. Um, get to know them a bit more personally, and then uh, yeah, you also understand. If they're, uh, if you see them acting differently, and maybe perhaps find ways to manage it, come back on things you've had in a more casual atmosphere, and um, yeah, manage the people. Iffy. <laughs> I always, I always, you know, when I judge a, a, a DS, I look at their background. You know, if they're an Aussie, they've got a different sort of culture to a, a Dane or whatever. And then with the Aussies, you normally think, oh, well, he's a Queenslander, he'll be a bit this way, or New South Welshman, but. You're a bit of a mixed bag, I reckon, Luke, because you've got Western, strong West Australian connections, South Australian connections. Your dad was uh, spent a lot of time in Tassie. So, what do you call yourself? Which which state is is uh, home base for you? I call Adelaide home. Um, I was born there, um, although we lived you know, lived almost everywhere in Australia, Tasmania, a long time in Melbourne, um, we're in New South Wales, Western Australia, but. Um, Adelaide is for me home. I was born there. Spent a lot of time in other parts, but uh, you know, once I settled down as a as a teenager, then um, my first home was in Adelaide that I bought. So okay. um, I still call Adelaide home. Oh, well, that answers a lot of questions. <laughs> hey, I've got a, I've got a question. It's um left left of centre. You've got a world championship jersey behind you on the wall there. Now you won three in a row, three team pursuit world titles. Where are the other jerseys? In the cupboard over there in the office. <laughs> why did you, you frame that one? Uh, just took one random one, put in a frame. Um, yeah, I can. It's a bit messy in here, but we've oh, got nice. the the Dumoulin. Oh, cool. Giro. Yeah. The Pujos. And then this wall. Oh yeah, that's a good one. So that's two thousand five. The CSC one, yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. And then from 2017, the KOM and the green jersey from Michael Matthews and Warren Bargill. Hey, Luke, you, you had, you had um, uh, one of the – and I'm, I'll, I'll put it down to your track racing background and super skills that come from that. Um, Dave Zabriskie in that Tour de France crashed in the team time trial and you were the rider directly behind him yet didn't crash. How is that possible? Yeah, I think that that came down to the reactions from the track racing. So he came out of a right corner. Um, I think he's hit a bump and chain jumped or something, and he's 
yeah, gone over the bars in front of me. And I actually had one hand down on the on the brakes there, and then the other hand was forward on the on the extension trying to change gears. And um, yeah, somehow I managed to to swerve around him, but um, probably lucky I was there because the, the next two was uh, was Bobby Ulick and Ivan Basso, and um, yeah, their reactions probably would have put them. Uh, <laughs> I, I, heard, I, I heard a funny story about Dave Zabriskie from that tour. Lance was obviously there with Cheryl Crow, and when he took the yellow jersey, he set the challenge to put as many Cheryl Crow songs in his answers at the press conference. So when they're asking him stuff, he's going, oh, all I want to do is have some fun, you know, <laughs> just to get under his skin. But he, yeah, he, yeah. Was, a, he was a different cat, Zabriskie. He was, yeah, yeah, he was a real character. No, he was a lot of fun. A lot of fun to, to, to have on the team. There. And he was real. He was real anal with his uh, cutlery. What he was saying back in the day, like he he was a bit of a germaphobe. He used to bring his own cutlery to races and stuff. And uh, yeah, it would like he wouldn't really be comfortable eating out of the buffets and <laughs> things like that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A... What's he doing now, Dave Zabriski? We didn't have DZ's oh, nuts. Yeah. That well, chamois cream. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Get some across the joy. Might have to try some new chamois <laughs> cream. DZ nuts. That's it. Get him on yeah. the DZ nuts. Hey, just with just with the team, Luke, um, bloody exciting team to watch because you're always having a crack. You're always mixing up in the finals. You know, you had so much success at the Tour de France. Is this part of the, the DNA of the team now? Yeah, I mean, we've it's quite a young team. Um, so we yeah, we try to develop everybody in a in a in a particular way as good as possible. Um, give them opportunities to to have a crack. Um, yeah, so we we have tend to, to race a little bit more aggressively last season, this season as well. Um, obviously, some races where we'll, where we'll target a GC, we need to hold back a little bit, be a bit more conservative. But, um, yeah, a lot of races we're just out there to yeah, mix it up and um, see what we can do. If he... Do you reckon uh, any of the Aussies will make it to the Tour de France team? They were so good in the Giro, but I know it's very hard to come from a Giro uh, and come back up for a tour. Yeah, unlikely. Um, yeah, difficult to back up. Yeah, they, they put a lot of emphasis on the, the GC target at the, at the Giro. Um, been a hard race for them, so unlikely that, uh, yeah. that one of those guys will back up for the tour. Yeah, bummer. <laughs> Does that include Bardet as well? Uh, yeah, most likely. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah, there's, the selection's not major, but it's of course it can be difficult to back up. I don't know exactly the situation the last week. Of uh, I'm not directly uh, a personal coach of him or, or contact with him, but um, yeah, to see how he's how he's recovering the last week, but hey, it's on, a tough on one a, to double up. Yeah, yeah. Um, on a just on a personal note with you, what what do you enjoy most about being a Director sportif, um, and compared to say when you were a pro, whether it was track or road or both, you know, but those, those periods like you have had kind of like the track career, the road career, um, and then now as a as a team manager, you know, what have you enjoyed so much about it all? Uh, I mean, what I enjoy about being the being a DS is mm. to to see the guys be successful. So, um, not necessarily with a top result, but when we when we can make a plan together and. Um, talk about the race, how we want to race together as a team, and then 
um, put things to practice, then when it all comes together and it goes well, regardless if we win or not, if if you if you, you, know, you see see it's gone well, you get a proud feeling, and um, you know, that that really motivates me a lot to uh, to see the guys be successful um, in that way. And as I said, regardless of win or not, I'd rather have a a, a really good plan in place and we race well together and finish second than to get a lucky win that we don't know where it come from. So um, that's what, uh, what motivates me. And um, you know, I can get a good proud feeling at the end of a race when things go well. You showed us a few of those jerseys before you've had so many great moments uh, throughout your career, particularly as a DS as well. Um, is there any that sort of really stand out uh, in particular when you come in your office and, and look at those jerseys? Um, yeah, I mean, there's the ones hanging here are from the from mostly 2017, so the the Giro win there with with Tom Dumoulin and uh, from the tour, the two jerseys. Um, yeah, obviously the, the the green with Michael Matthews that was a that was a big fight that one. Um, we had a plan. We planned for months in advance of exactly in every intermediate sprint how many points he could pick up in which intermediate sprints, what the average points would be in the final or for each stage how much we could take in a final and we had an idea how many points we could take um, based on that plan and knew someone would have to be exceptional to, to make more than that. Uh, in the end, I think we made within three points of that that total. There were a couple of exceptional guys there. One of them, with Sagan, had to leave the race. Kittle was exceptional, won a handful of stages and looked out of reach, but then, um, yeah, of course, also didn't make it to Paris. So and that uh, left the door open and um yeah that was a uh, was a good feeling to pull that one off if he now uh you might have heard right at the start of the show uh, luke but uh we've stuffed up we were supposed to because we were originally going to go yesterday and the day before and then we, we all got moved and uh phil liggett's got his uh wonderful ride to, to raise uh money for save the rhinos in africa so i was going to tell all our great listeners turn off Go to this and come back and watch us after uh, um, get, get us anytime. So go, go straight. No, you've really it. got the guilt, <laughs> say it's just, yeah. it's just playing on your mind. <laughs> just chisel it away. Um, Luke, obviously the, the memories of the Olympic gold um, would be just fantastic. And I had a look at this photo here. Bert's obviously quite emotional. The, the, <laughs> the other three look like you're pretty much holding it together. Um, but what, what can you tell us about the build-up to, to the Athens Olympics and, and the actual uh, gold medal itself? Um, yeah, I mean, if you you look at that photo, there you show. So Brett was really emotional, um, in tears. The other, I mean, the, the, I've got a bit of a smile on my face, but compared to some of the photos we've seen from the World Championships, there everybody was, uh, you know, had big grins on their faces. Here it seems like they were almost overwhelmed. So it was almost difficult to realize what had happened and um yeah hard to contain emotion or show emotion or hard to show that you were happy in a way but um yeah i mean the the we had three world championship gold medals on the way leading up to that um the first one was i wouldn't say a surprise we won we took the world record in 2002 at the com games that was a bit of a surprise um, but yeah, everything coming together uh, in the months before, and um, you know the steps we'd taken with with Ian McKenzie then the year and a half before that. Um, yeah, took the world record, went to the world championships as 
favourites now, world record holders, but still, you know, we quite calm about it. We were nervous ourselves to win our first world championship um, there. Took the gold medal and then, um, yeah, from then on, the, the year after in Stuttgart, um, world record holders and world champions. So uh, that was a, um, yeah, just a backup. We also had a strong, a really strong team there. Um, following year in Melbourne, we had some riders not available, um, but you know the, the depth we had in that in that team, we had uh, still we had four riders or more, still had five six riders capable of winning the world championship. So um, it was a, it was a tough one in Melbourne, close fight. We won that one. Um, that was I think one of the closest world championships we had. Um, but of course, that was that was in May, and then a couple of months later, the Olympics, where we were basically red hot favourites, and, and people were saying that's one gold medal Australia would just go there to collect unless we mess it up. Um, so yeah, the the to stand on the on the start line of the final there, knowing you got less than four minutes, one small mistake, and uh, you messed up for not only yourself but your three teammates as well. Um, there was a lot of pressure on that one in that final and that's why I think that's why it was so overwhelming afterwards to to realise we'd pulled it off. Scooter? Hey, the, um, I always like to, to remind people of the interview that Garen Thomas did um, before the penultimate stage, you know, the time trial of the Tour de France he won in 2018 um, and a question was put to him, are you nervous going into this time trial? You know, this you, know, you, you win or lose the Tour de France with this time trial. And he said, um, oh, no, do you, sorry, it was, do you feel the pressure? You know, do you feel under pressure that, you know, this is win or lose? And he said, pressure? He said, this is nothing. You should try lining up for a team pursuit final at the Olympic Games on your home track. Now, that's pressure. うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。うん。う
and sort of backed off a little bit. So it was actually a really good good ride we didn't we'd done up until that point. Um, last couple of laps we probably gave away a, a, maybe a second or so, but um, we were quite confident then that in the final we could we could go even quicker. Um, we're actually contemplating: should we go and do the doping control now? It's going to cost us time. Then the world record would be would be ratified though. It's, and um, we would have that record, or do we go home and rest and go back to the village rest and we take the world record tomorrow? Um, I'm pretty glad that we did that, put that time in and went and did the, the doping control and got that um, that world record confirmed because that took that pressure off of also to go for our own world record the, the following evening um, because there the pressure was already enough and there some small mistakes actually started to happen. So, um, yeah, there was a, a touch of wheels um at one moment after but just before 3k small gap opened up and um it was pretty nervous ride but um yeah i think all in all compared to the pressure that we had on us then uh yeah it's natural that some small things may happen but luckily we could, could keep it together enough to still do a really good ride and how close was it in in the finish, I'm just trying to remember back. This um, I think almost. I mean, we raced uh, of the three world titles. I think we're always around two or three seconds in front of. Uh, it was either Great Britain or the first world championship was against Germany. Um, the Melbourne one was quite close in 2004. I think the final in Athens were also more than two seconds. Or I think I think the Brits rode under four minutes for the first time in the final. And we were 57, 357. Did it change? Like, obviously, people dream of just competing in the Olympics, but to win a gold, did it change? Was it everything that you'd thought it would be? Yeah. I mean, since I was a little kid, I, I just knew I wanted to win an Olympic gold medal. I had no idea what sport it would be in. But, um, yeah, I just uh, set my mind to it. And, um, yeah, once I chose cycling, then it was that was it. Then I... And wanted to go for it, followed the pathway through the Charlie Walsh's program, Institute of Sport, into that track endurance team and you know, eventually knew the best chance for me to take an Olympic gold medal was going to be in the team pursuit. Well, this is a question for both you and Scotty. What's the protocol when you do win a gold? Because I know when we won the third grand final in 99, we didn't take the medal off for a couple of days. Do you just walk around the village? What's the cutoff? Is it like 24, 48 hours where you can... Just casually walk into a nightclub straight through to the front. How long do you have it around the neck for? Well, I, I can say that um, it was just that night. So I actually wore it to the club that night, Brett and I, in, in Sydney 2000. And then after that, it was it was off the neck, mate. It was in the pocket. I actually had <laughs> to um, get – because I had to do the road race the week later. So I was back on the bike the next day um, or the next afternoon just to start to roll the legs over and try and actually put some endurance back in the legs to, to try and get through the road race the following week. So how long – and it's different with the team situation. Like for Luke, so I was going to ask before, was when you, the pressure that you may feel as an individual on the start line I think is very different to to a team. You know, the pressure that Luke and the guys would have had, and, and I had that with Brett as well, that there's another level of responsibility that you take on board above your own expectations and aspirations you know you're now responsible for someone else's childhood dreams um and i think that's sort of an extra lot of pressure that that uh, luke would have had as well on on his shoulders likewise the other guys in that final um but then you get to share that as well so that's a common bond that those guys have forever 
So I don't know how long you wore your medal for, Luke, but I reckon as a group, like a band of brothers kind of situation, you might have kept it on for a few days. <laughs> no, we, we left it up, but yeah, it was uh, we did definitely had it in the pocket of the club for a couple of days, but um, I think we actually all had to we all had to get, uh, disappear pretty quick after the after the final. I think uh, we stayed on for two days, spent one of them signing thousand six hundred posters, um, and then uh, with a hangover, and then the, <laughs> then the following day, one more night, and then the following day we're all back to Europe and. Uh, yeah, I mean, a couple, a couple of the guys had uh, professional teams already. I was still in search for one. So I wanted to get back and, and start racing again on the road. And I've got two questions. Did you go to that famous party at the Irish Bar uh, after winning at Athens? And second question, were you have did you have one of the passports that Shane Bannon, Shane Bannon almost lost? Have you, heard, have you heard that story? I don't think so. <laughs> they, they all went to the Irish bar and um, he was dancing on the table, obviously, with um, uh, John Eels, you know, the rugby guy. And I think the table snapped or whatever, but it was a big night and he, he couldn't find the passports the next day. They're all in a bag. I think it was the entire track team or the, the cycling team, but he got it back. But uh, yeah, it would have been a mate because that was an amazing year for the track program. Um, they've come under fire of late, obviously, with you know, a, a lack of gold medals. But that year itself, being able to connect with other successful uh, Australian athletes would have been awesome as well. Yeah, I was for sure. I was actually just um, discussing this with, with my team, with a couple of guys uh, the last couple of weeks, but um, how that that success of the, um, yeah, when, when, some, when one group or when the Team Pursuit team started to become successful, it also drove the others in that group then to, also yeah, step up and you know then we we had uh, kieran world champions sprint world champions um ryan bailey winning both of the olympic games um you know, anna mears incredibly successful and that just seemed to drive each other or drive the culture in the team to um yeah to work hard and you know then that that success came along with it but um it was a great culture in the in the team in those years Success breeds success, as they say. So uh, you just mentioned that you had to get back to Europe and, and try and get your contract. How did that gold medal uh, help you uh, to, to get into a, a pro a world tour team? Um, yeah, I guess it would have would have helped a bit. But actually, the, the first race I, I did when I came back was Ron and Falt's um, stage race. And I won the first stage of it and then had the yellow jersey for a couple of days as well. So used the good shape there to, to also show myself against the, the professional teams and um, that also helped a little bit and then uh, ultimately it was uh, I was signed for CSC was Danish team um, where I'd uh, then I'd raced early or actually before I went to Melbourne for those world championships in May um, done a couple of races in Denmark where they had already noticed me there so a little bit of everything adding up, and then the then the opportunity did come up in two thousand and five to to sign with them or for the two thousand and five season. Um, with your style, do you sort of uh, subliminally um, take bits of directors that you've had throughout your writing career and take what you want to evolve into your own style? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I've worked with a lot of different coaches throughout my own career, um, a lot of different sport directors on different teams, um, seeing what I thought worked well and what I thought didn't work 
um, learned from those experiences and sort of adapted my own style of, of coaching or, or directing from, from that. Did, were you part of those famous boot camps that Bjarni Reese used to do with the CSC boys? And can you give the listeners a bit of an insight on what they were? Yeah, that was uh, they were pretty intense. I did uh, I did three of those with the the military um, or Danish military guy uh, BS Christensen. Um, the first one was uh, was it was forty eight hours where we walking all night without flashlights, walking under moonlight um, with a sixteen kilo backpack on, army boots, and uh, walking through a forest uh, the whole night. Um, different tasks throughout the day where they, they'd split the team up, including all the office staff, um, you know, Swaneurs, mechanics, everybody. So it was 60 people at the camp. Um, split us up into different groups of around 10 people. And then for each activity we had, they chose a new leader for the group. So it was a little bit to see who has the leadership qualities, um, who's a follower, who's going to complain, who's going to step up and take on a challenge. Um, just to learn a bit about the characters of everybody, and uh, it really came out there. And um, yeah, of course, I yeah got, had to lead a, a twelve-kilometer walk overnight now, on the second night. I was shit myself about that, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, then the yeah, in the end, you just uh, <laughs> get the hey, job done. I, so. I, like I remember you telling a story about um, there was a sniper um, situation. You had to try and find the sniper or get out like get out yeah. of door as a yeah. group or something can you can you run us through that yeah well that was one of the activities i think that was the second year um the second boot camp i did but um so we had the danish military we're in like a, a, a practice area or whatever where they have some old buildings etc and there was a there was a hostage up in the in one of the buildings we had to come out of this bunker and uh yeah try to rescue this hostage so we all just come running out of the bunker, don't see anybody. And then they were yeah, real guns, but shooting blanks. And then somehow you knew when you were shot, you had an earpiece in and it would tell you that you've been shot with a laser or something. And um, <laughs> so we'd come out straight away ringing in all our ears. So if you were shot, you had to, you had to be, someone had to carry you back to the bunker because the ringing went away, then you could start again. And uh, yeah. 20 of us ran out of the bunker and then 20 of us were laying there. There was no one to carry back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after, Dead ducks. <laughs> after a minute, the ringing went away. We could go back to the bunker, reset, came out. Again, we're all laying there. And then they, they gave us a tip off. Okay, there's a sniper out there. You need to find him first. Maybe better so go out to the sides and try to round him off. It took us, it took us an hour to find this guy. <laughs> and he's kept uh, in the end it was successful but i don't know how many times we died kept <laughs> <laughs> with nine lives eh? <laughs> do, do you think it was a, a, a successful strategy those those camps in terms of bonding and and as you said find out who who's made of the real stuff yeah definitely i mean it was uh yeah interesting to see when i think back now seeing what i've seen of my teammates um you know i was i was basically a neo pro I was pretty young then and um uh you know did see something things there with their characters that i noticed came out later in the races and i think it would be really interesting now as a sport director to also um you know put riders under pressure in something outside of cycling and just see how they react how many how many of the, the well i'm not sure if there are any but other than yourself but how many that sh um showed through that to be leaders went on to be team managers 
Uh, there's actually quite a few from that team. Um, I think at uh, Strata Bianchi this year, we, we sat with oh, six or seven of us from that team alone um, huh. as, a, as sport directors. So uh, Fabrizio Guidi, um, then you had the Danish guys, Lars Mikkelsen, Matty Breschel, Nicky Sorensen, Kim Anderson was there as a DS. Um, yeah, they were yeah, them with myself. Um, and how many joined the army? <laughs> as, as snipers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, I don't, you wouldn't really be able to get away with it as much nowadays, would you? Because, I mean, I don't know what the younger generation are like as much in current cycling, but it just really does feel like a different dynamic and, and you've almost got to be that extra level like of understanding and, and it's not as old school as it was. Yeah, also, I mean, the, the professionals are getting younger and younger. I mean, you look at the average age of our team, it's, um, yeah, there was, uh, I think when I turned professional, there was probably no riders younger than that in the team. So, yeah, they're, they're getting signed younger and younger. And then, of course, it's uh, they've still got to still got to grow up and, and become men, a lot of those guys. So, um, yeah, it is a lot about managing them and um, also helping them to continue to, to develop. I noticed that, Luke, from, say, just from an Australian track cycling program. So I've come on now as a, a selector for the track team. And if I go back to my time, like the how immature we were in terms of understanding health and nutrition and, um, you know, just training and power outputs and all those kind of things, it was we just did what we were told. Your group may have had a better understanding, but probably still not like they do now. This young group, like the team that will go to Tokyo from the team to shoot squad, they have a really good idea of, power outputs, you know, what powder ratio, power, uh, what's what's per kilogram, what it's going to take, what their future may be because of the the data that they're getting now as to whether they could be good road riders on, in the future as well or not. Nutrition, understanding of all of that, so much more mature and they're still a very young team. So collectively, I think road, track, everything is just so much more, um, I guess everyone's so much more mature now about understanding their body and, and what they can and potentially can do. Yeah, I think all the all the data that we now have access to can also show what uh, where the potential is and what what needs to adapt or where where the strengths are, where weaknesses are. It's uh, incredible what we can see. You 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 mentioned before, um, uh, you know, so the old national coach that you guys won with, Ian McKenzie, then Charlie Walsh, who I was with years before that. I remember, you know, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but I remember the previous team used to always go to Colorado Springs for altitude training. Every team goes and does altitude training these days, um, you know, six weeks or whatever it may be. But I, I remember for you it was always a little bit different. You'd go to, like, you know, track national championships and ride an incredible individual pursuit, but then go to Colorado Springs and then not have such a good time. Um, and it was a bit about, you know, how, how fast you – could or couldn't adapt to altitude training. You know, it's like, I guess, the understanding of individual athletes back then um, or the unwillingness to understand individual athletes just wasn't there. And if you didn't conform to what everyone else was doing, then, well, too bad. Um, I guess, you, have you learnt from that, that your time that from back then on how to actually work with individuals better? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, that was, yeah, we talked going back to the, in the, to the 90s there or, um, end of the 90s, 
obviously now with the more the more data we have, then we can see how how individual athletes are do get affected by different or how they react on different training, um, how they react at altitude, etc. So that would have definitely helped me in those days. Um, you know, obviously the, the 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 general line for the for the most of the team there wasn't ideal for me. I'd struggle a lot with the high intensity training at, in Colorado. Um, struggled a lot with the the high cadence. I was more you know, wanted to have it ride a bigger gear, um, use strength more, and you know, that's uh, if the data was available there, then perhaps um, you know, perhaps it could look a bit different uh, how how riders can be treated individually as well. I think the data probably was available. There's just an unwillingness to actually um, interpret the way it's needed to be <laughs> for the administration. Well, that's one of the amazing things that I see, Luke. People are teams are actually selecting riders on data they've hardly even seen them race just getting their data uh, it's yeah yeah can, yeah yeah i mean it's um obviously it shows the the physical talent and it's it's pretty accurate um pays off a lot of the time but of course there's you know that it's still a bike race you've still got to steer the bike and ride in a, in a bunch with 160 other guys and elbow to elbow so um you know the the, the physical qualities is not is not the ultimate deciding factor. So you, know, you still got to be able to race the bike as well, understand the race, read a race. Um, the guys who are strong in those qualities, then they, you know, if they lack something physically, they'll still be good bike riders. So um, I guess Mark, Mark Cavendish is the perfect example of uh, of not looking at the data. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So look, well, and, um, and, and Valverde, sorry, sorry, Dan, Valverde's right. probably the example of of the of the latter you know in that um you know there's someone that just has an incredible brain and love and passion obviously his data is, is good his numbers are good but at the age of 41 to win a stage um a hilltop finish in the dauphin just shows how incredibly astute he is as a rider as well how old was chris horner when he won the vuelta he was 41, 41 right? yeah 41 or 43 41 when he won it yeah yeah huh. Hey, Luca, you mentioned before you, you did a bit of work with the sprint team going into the tour. What are the goals for you guys for the tour this year and what would look like a big green tick in terms of what you want to achieve? Um, well, ultimately, we'll go there targeting stage results. Um, you know, last year, we had, a, we had quite a uh, – we made some steps with our, with our sprint team. Um, with the lead out, we had a couple of, couple of days there where it came together pretty well. Um, we've continued working on that um, with the, with that group of guys, and uh, you know, hope to to really be able to be up there challenging and hopefully dominate the sprints. Um, that we can you know, have a, have a good strong lead out there and um, hopefully pick up a couple of stage wins in the sprints. Um, then, of course, with the you know, aggressive style of racing out of breakaways, um, we have a few guys in there that uh, you know, that will suit will suit them quite well. So. Um, yeah, ultimately, it'll be, be targeting stage results, stage wins, and um, hopefully, we can pick up a couple. If he, no, and then you want to wrap things with no, Luke, absolutely sensational to have you on as, as always. Look forward to finally getting catching up and having a, a, a coffee. We've missed out for the last couple of years. And uh, please say hello to your lovely wife, Sylvie, who uh, they tell me has recovered from uh, that week she travelled on the Tour de France with me all those years ago. This is great. <laughs> 16 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Luke, Luke I, um, 
I asked you about what you liked about you know being a, a DS, but what do you miss about being a pro rider and now in in the team car? And what's the difference, uh, like physically, mentally? What, what's the differences between a pro rider and then now you know being a manager? Yeah, I mean, what I do miss a little bit is that um, yeah to go after that success yourself. So to or to you know that that. Uh, following a training plan, working towards being in a top shape and then getting there and then you know, having that, uh, using that shape in a race and having that success. Um, I still feel that a little bit, but it's not for me personally then, it's, uh, it's as a team. Um, when, I, when I go to a nice race where it's a nice stage and I know it would suit me and it's nice weather, then I think I'd, it'd be really nice to still be a bike rider here. But uh, those days are well outnumbered by the days it's pissing rain, freezing cold. Now I think I'm happy I'm sitting back in the car today and not have to get on the bike. We've got <laughs> one question from the uh, viewers, and it's from Chris Blockley. It says, morning from Ireland, lads. Quick question. George said on the Social Distance podcast that some lads enjoy books and one teammate only watch YouTube. Uh, this is for you, Luke. What, what's your preference for relaxing when you're at Grand Tours? Or do you get a chance to relax? Uh, now I don't know. My day starts at probably six, seven in the morning and finishes at midnight. So, um, you know, by the time we, you know, meetings around it with the staff, etc., meetings the riders, the preparation um, for the stage, it's a, they're pretty busy days. So, on the race itself, I don't now as a sport director, I don't have almost have uh, I struggle to find five minutes to call the family a lot of days. So, um, yeah, as a rider. There was uh, when I was racing. There was no, no Netflix, no not good internet in the hotels, etc. So um, cards, yeah. <laughs> take a book or take a book or watch uh, watch TV in French or something. If you see if you can find something to watch. Yeah. Uh, well, we as if Star Wars, Star Wars with Matt Goss once in uh, <laughs> in, in a French hotel. He watched it and about half an hour to go. He says. Hey, what's this you're watching? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no Tasmanian. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't make the uh, bass straight. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, Dan, I used to, I used to right? subscribe to Cycling Weekly magazine and you know be hanging out every month for that magazine to arrive. Living in Germany, you know, it wasn't it wasn't easy to get any English TV or you know any reading content of any type. So yeah, subscribe to the magazine, and I'd read I'd read cover to cover, just every story, an article, just to get something from from the outside world. Eventually, later, as I progressed as a writer, um, I couldn't be bothered even reading it because I read, you know most of those articles were written by people that had no idea about cycling, and I didn't know why I was reading them in the first place. Oh, shots fired! <laughs> that, was, that wasn't your only magazine subscription, was it, Scooter? Yes, it was, Dan. <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs> as if he said, thanks for joining the detour, Luke. It's been bloody fascinating chat, mate. We've loved the stories and insights and, and the viewers would have too and, and listeners. So appreciate it, mate, and, and all the best for the Tour de France. Um, yep. No doubt you guys will be lighting it up. No worries, guys. Thanks, thanks buddy, Luke. Thanks, thanks mate. Buddy. See, See you, mate. Easy. Luke Roberts, absolute legend. Uh, time for a quick word from our great mates at Bike Exchange. We've got plenty more to come on the detour. We, uh, if he had a chat with Matt White, we're going to have a snippet of uh, George Bennett. We'll talk about the Dolphin, eh? Plenty more. See you after this quick word from Bike Exchange. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, 
and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs. Semi-amateurs. And pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank. And these bars. This could be the perfect match. But not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace, with over 500,000 products and 900 brands, where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides. Thanks again to our great mates at Bike Exchange. Now, George Bennett, we were obviously following him a bit uh, on the Giro, and we're in awe of that famous photograph where they said he went down to the bottom of the climb and rode back up with his teammate. Now, he debunked that on the on the Social Distance podcast. said it was bullshit. He said it was like 80 metres. He rode down and then just literally went straight back up because they got to the hotel and his teammate was almost disqualified because they were saying that if, you know, it's, not legal if if George had gone to the bottom and done the climb again and been helping him or whatever caused this big brouhaha but George didn't know because he turned all his social media off like he didn't watch any <laughs> social media so his team was going mate it's gone viral I'm getting all these messages he goes what are you talking about and then he said as well like what happened he gave insight as to why he finished with the feedback he said someone gave him the wrong clothing and he said there's just a balls up that day but he did talk about obviously uh, he really struggled in the cold uh, this is his insights from Social Distance Potty about how cold he actually got at the Giro. Firstly, we were particularly unlucky that there was like, I don't know, five really bad weather days and they were always on the mountain stages. Not one of the like easy sprint stages was bad weather. They were always like 25 degrees, beautiful. But that, every time we go to the mountain, it would just be freezing cold and shit. But what, what was frustrating is like, you know, like being in New Zealand or Australia, you always want to be like the, oh, it doesn't matter if it's raining. Like, you want to be the tough guy that just can handle all conditions. So even if you, like, G'd up for it and you're not, like, sitting in the bus going, oh, it's raining, I don't want to race today, if you're still like, yeah, I don't care about the rain or the stuff, doesn't matter. Like, you don't get to decide that. Like, mm. if you care about the rain or not, like, it's at a cellular level. So you go out, you're all G'd up, like, like trying to be, like, the, the tough man of all conditions. And then when you're not, like, I just found out that I was the worst possible guy in the race at it and you just felt like you'd limp in and you'd be like what happened you'd be like, oh, i got cold and it was like six yeah. degrees in rain it's like everybody got cold what are you talking about like it was cold of course you got cold you just went 50k down a hill and it was it was yeah it was three degrees at the top and maybe eight degrees at the bottom and it was torrential rain like of course everyone got cold why did you lose seven minutes and why did they not and it's just yeah. like oh, i don't i don't know it's an unanswerable question mm. We were talking about that yesterday on the bike. George and I were talking about the the cold there at the Giro, and um, I referenced stage sixteen actually specifically, which was I, th I think it was stage sixteen, wasn't it? That was passage out. That was jail. And, yeah. And like on that day, particularly, there was guys like oh, I mean, guys from my team, like Michael Hepburn, Chris Joel Jensen. They all had storming days. You know, they all climbed really well. They all climbed with. There was like. You know, 40, 50 guys left when these these guys that normally would be would be dropped with, you know, with 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 a much much bigger group still there, but because it was so cold and those guys are considerably bigger than 
than like George or the GC guys. They can handle it a little bit better. They're a little bit more robust. So it, it, it is, it is, a, it is true that like man, when it's so cold like that, a you're a, when you're a GC guy, you're considerably smaller than than those sort of those sort of guys. And also, like you can't really do anything about it. Like if you're not built yeah. that way, if you're not if you're not genetically built, like if you're a Scandinavian, those guys are built. They've all got a little bit of you know they're a bit bigger guys. They're all built because they're born in bloody Arctic conditions. Genetically, they they're hardwired to be able to handle those conditions a little bit better than what a lot of other people are. So speaking of much you can speaking do. of Scandos on on that day, I was riding along and I had like maybe four or five jackets on. It was just so cold, like so. I like gabbers with rain jackets, with like thermal jackets, undershirts, everything. And we're riding along, going up this hill, and I was still freezing. And I looked across at my the guy that ended up riding GC for us, Tobias Foss, and he had a t-shirt on, just had shorts, <laughs> just had shorts and nicks. And I was like, you, I, I was like, surely you're taking the piss. Surely did, now did you're I... just, surely just trying to get in our heads. Can't they give you like hot tea and things like that as well? Like, what are some of the other things that they do, bro? That's like pissing on a house fire. Yeah, like, <laughs> like you, you've got hy- you've got hypothermia. Oh, here's a hot tea. Oh, sweet, all good now. Oh, sweet. You might head over a tub of Vicks. You might, you might water put, the towel. <laughs> you might put the doormat out, but the house burns down still. Yeah, yeah I tried to contribute something, but it got shut down. <laughs> Scooter, this this does my head in. Like, you know it's going to get freezing. Surely someone's come up with the technology that's lightweight, that you can flick a switch or flick a button and it just warms up or whatever. Isn't it out there? Like, because George was saying that they were snapping things, you know, those snap heat pads or whatever. Guys were stuffing those in their shorts or whatever. But this is obviously a serious issue. If you're built like George Bennett that, and you look at the weather conditions, Prevention's better than cure. Like you need to have some sort of tech. You think of how much money goes into these grand tours and what's at stake. Surely that part of it, you could come up with something. Yeah, well, man, I, I don't have your answers there. I know you can get, you know, your, your electric socks and different things, but I, I just don't know if they make them that are compatible for cycling. You know, it's cycling clothing mm-hmm. is so thin, so your socks are thin because the shoes have to fit snugly. You know, can you have things that that are that thin and still have the heat effect? Where's the energy coming from? Is there a battery pack? Are you allowed to carry a battery pack? You know, for these sorts of things, uh, I don't know. I, I just don't know. So if you if you think it like skiing, for example, so skiing um, downhill skiers they wear the ski suits. It is a thicker material than lycra. But they're cold. They are, you know, they do their warm-up exercises and that's all about going fast. Then they put the jackets on at the bottom. They can't cruise around in the mountains, you know, in sub-zero temperatures just in their ski suits for too long. And if you're, you know, out there doing leisure skiing, you've got the big, thick padded stuff, you know, all those sorts of coats and gloves, and you just can't wear those things in cycling. It's just not aerodynamic enough and you're going to lose out too much, you know, whenever the race is fast. So it's one of those challenges. (laughs) There's one part of, of, of that podcast, and I don't think if, if you're going to show it, I'll shut up. Tell me, Dan. But no, where, I don't have it. Where he decides he can't do it again, so he absolutely loads up with like all this really <laughs> yeah, thick deep fat stuff and deep heat, and mixes it all up, and he covers himself in it. And he's in the bus getting ready. He's got you know 
20 minutes, half an hour to start, so he gave himself. Then after he's done it all, it comes through that they've changed the stage and they've changed the start by nearly an hour and he's sitting in the bus <laughs> with a steam starting to come out of his ears. <laughs> that was funny. He goes, I just started like burning up like on the bus. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah the, heat stuff, the heat stuff's not great because then, you know, yeah, if it does warm up later, um, you know, it becomes a real challenge, or even after the stage, you're trying to wipe it down. Sometimes they use rubbing alcohol to wipe it down, and that yeah. rubbing alcohol on top of the heat stuff as well. And yeah. I'm trying to think of the red. We used to have some stuff. It was red. It was a, a, a red Tiger greasy. Bump. No, no. It was. It was. It had another name. It was really hot, and you put it on to you. Know, it would burn. But on the really terrible days, and when we're amateurs, too, Tassie and whatever, we'd rub this. I can't think of the name. It was a ready orangey cream. Um, but oh, if, I know yeah, that, yeah. You know the stuff, yeah. yeah. But if you slipped and got it onto the, onto the old oh, testes, oh, yeah. I can tell you, woo! <laughs> <laughs> you were moving. Don't, uh, you were moving. Don't, don't mix it up with your chamois cream, that's for sure. No, no, exactly. Okay, I'll scroll through some of the viewer uh, comments. Uh, Cheryl says... See you on the replay. So that's obviously <laughs> Phil Liggett's right. Uh, Scott Davis says, good to see you, fellas. Go, Richie. Um, obviously, Wendy Superfan. Hi, Dan, John, Scott, and Luke. A bit late on that one. Uh, Matthew says, hi, boys. Uh, Jason oh, from the boys. Maldives. Good afternoon, gents. Uh, Sasha Bone, what is your passion? What's your passion, Scooter? Might have been for Luke. Might have been, they might have been for Luke. Probably. Um, yeah. A bit slow yeah, on that. Yeah. Uh, now another one for you too. John uh, asks, "Hey guys, who is Richie's biggest threat to his overall tonight? Is it Lopez?" Yeah, I, I, well, I think it's the it's the Melbourne Star squad. They're they're, they're the strongest uh, other squad there. Um, but I I reckon Ineos are, are good enough to beat all challenges. So I, I'm really looking forward to to what will be a great night. Uh, Scooter. <laughs> His, his biggest threat might be um, might be his teammate Darren Thomas. Mm. You know they well, won't race against each other, but he might he may you know the tactics may be that Darren's the man to put everyone else under pressure, um, attack up the road, um, no. and then yeah might might hold on for the win. But I'm sure he'd like Richie to get the win because he wants Richie obviously to repay the favour at the Tour de France. So David wants to ask you if Richie wins the Dauphiné, are Ineos more likely to side during the race who to support at the Tour de France, or will Garen Thomas? Uh, be all the way leader, you reckon? I, I reckon, Garrett, that's their like any else, they don't play with those sorts of things, they've got a plan. And maybe Richie will be like a second protected rider. And like, um, uh, Martinez at, at the, the Giro, you know, like he he would have placed higher up had he not ridden for um for Bernal as much as he did. But he was also, whenever he did the job for Bernal, he then held on the best he could to make sure he stayed up there on the GC. And had a good good result in the overall classification. Richie might be that kind of rider, but I think they're all in for Garrett unless something strange happens and they can change things for the last moment. Well, Garrett was the one that let Richie go uh, to win the stage. He said to yeah. him, "All right, mate, go, go." I mean, if Garrett yeah. had a wanted to hold him back, he could have had a crack yeah. himself. Yeah. Yeah. Now, look, it's funny, you know, isn't it? The end of last year, I was thinking, "Wow, it's fantastic." Here, Richie finally he got his uh, uh, his podium spot in the Tour de France, where he's always wanted. He's gone, you know, back to Sky. You might say to, to Ineos, take the big money, and uh, you know he'll have a a wonderful swan song. Hasn't been that like that at all. He has just 
he has dug found it at that level again. He's going better than last year. So, okay, he'll end up most likely having to dig very deep for uh, um, for G uh, sometime during this Tour de France. But if most likely they ride for the both and something happens, mm. I can, you can see uh, uh, he's going to get another opportunity, a big chance to get another opportunity in the Tour de France. So I'm excited. This could be I'm like Froome and Wigo all over again. Yeah, well, I mean, things can change. Tell him to wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, now, Linda, we should... Linda, Linda wants to know, can Jack Haig win tonight? Mm, I'd love to say yes, but I, I just I don't think so. I think he's he's about where he is at the moment. Um, he's doing really well. This has been a big step up for, for Jack and, and Bahrain are all in for him for uh, the Tour de France to see what he can do as well. But I reckon he's around about the mark. I think when, you know, whether it's a Lopez or a Thomas or a Port or you know, maybe even Lysenko, but if one of those guys really light it up, and I, I just don't think Jack's got that little bit extra. Um, you know, if he can hold on to fifth or maybe move up a little bit, but I, I don't think he can go for the stage win. Love to see it, though. If, if he was uh, too down, he could win tonight, but he's not. Um, your mate Scooter, last of the comments. Uh, he's um, only a fraction oh. off. So you just a fraction off. Yeah, yeah. Cut in look. Jack, look, Jack's run on fifth overall. He's at, um, what, 34 seconds off Richie Port, right? So it's still, still close. It's an uphill finish. No one's going to leave anything out on the road. They'll all go for it as much as they can. And who knows? I just I just don't think Jack has got more than 35 seconds over Richie Port on the final climb today um, without throwing in the other guys like Lopez and whatever. I just don't think he's that much better than Richie. But, hey, I'd love to, him to be. I don't care who it is that wins, but, you know, probably I'd go for Jack. He hasn't had the big wins that Richie has. Um, I was you know, very impressed. Jack's a boy from from Central Victoria, you know. So you know, very impressed. He can do very good. And so, scooter, so good mate, yours, Rob Eva. Some mountain bike downhill events. We wore wetsuits under our gear. Not going to work for road events, so. Ah, there you go. I didn't know that. Yeah, I wonder if that was so. For, for I imagine this for warmer weather, but perhaps also a bit of protection as well. You know, because these um, crazy mountain bikers like Rob Eva. Um, don't mind throwing themselves down amongst the rocks. Matters of cut snake. Yeah, yeah, but that, that's right. Like so, any any sort of any sort of clothing that is going to make you so warm that could then you know you might have before you don't normally start straight up into the mountains. Um, you know, you've got to ride to them typically, so you've got to get through whatever number of kilometres to get to the climbs. You've got to go up a climb, down a descent. The weather variables are so much throughout a long stage whether it's in the mountains or on the way too, make it really challenging, you know, to stay warm all day. And that's just one of the brutal aspects of, of cycling and why it makes it it's so tough. And it's going to be hard for George now. Like, this is obviously going to scar him going forward. Whenever he has to do something super cold in a race, he's going to be a bit nervous, isn't he, about whether he's going to have what it takes to get through and do what he needs to do for himself and for his team. He's just got to get the timing right with a deep heat and he'll be fine. If you, if you didn't have that delay to the stage, you'd be laughing. Um, now, Ify, you did an interview with sports director Matt White um, prior to this live recording, and it's in three parts because we couldn't shut you up. Uh, here's part one with John's chat earlier today. Okay, so with me again, we have Matt White, uh, head DS with uh, Team Bike Exchange. Whitey, you're uh, down home in, uh, in southern Spain at the moment, having a bit of a break. How's it going, bud? Yeah, good, good. Uh, back home with the family for this week and a little bit of next week, and then off to uh, off to Switzerland on Wednesday afternoon. 
Okay. So what's, what's the situation? Like you're down in southern Spain there. What is the situation there with the, the whole COVID uh, 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 pandemic? Yeah, so they're, 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 they're getting a bit of a move on there with the vaccina- vaccination process. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I'm too young at the moment to get vaccinated. Uh, the thing they're, they're working on 50 up, 50 up at the moment. So hopefully by the time we leave for the Tour de France, I would have had my first vaccine. As far as the cases, uh, I honestly couldn't tell you the exact numbers, but I know it has gone down a hell of a lot. And the hospitals, the hospitals are still busy, but the hospitals are still busy because there's been such a backload of uh, all other operations that have been put yeah, on the back yeah, burner yeah, yeah. Uh, since COVID started. So I've got a couple of mates who work at the hospital system, in the hospital system, and, and they said that it's as busy as ever because... Now it's, now it's not the uh, COVID cases, but people who've had, who've had cancer cases or other surgeries that been that have been put back because it's been the hospitals have been on the limit for a year. Uh, that they're starting to get it, that it's starting to be, to be able to treat those people now. So, look, by the, the Spanish government was uh, saying that by the end of summer they'll have everyone vaccinated. So in the next two to three months. So I know a few a few people. A lot of people who got vaccinated in the month of May while I was away, but uh, those people were either working in different industries um, that uh, the government sees it needs to be vaccinated or they're older than me, so they've been able to um, get the vaccine first. Now, I see uh, made the news yesterday uh, that uh, Egan Bernal and his girlfriend both uh, uh, tested positives and are about to fly off to Colombia. So uh, that's sca- a scary thought. Well, he was uh, he was cl- he was clearly breaking the bubble every time he was uh, passing on with the over the fence there, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely on the last day. Definitely on the last day. No doubt about that. So, uh, so yeah, there's no surprise that she's got it. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> scary stuff. And just as we went on air, uh, uh, Dan, who's doing his magic in the background. We can't come on at the moment. But uh, he uh, mentioned about this uh, uh, South African uh, golfer who uh, finished the uh, – the, I, I just saw a world champion run past you in the background, mate. Definitely a yeah, world champion. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so he, he's um, – as he's played up the 18th, he's, he's about to take a six-shot uh, lead into the final round of this two million – I think Euro uh, uh, competition, and they've told him he's uh, COVID positive. Yeah, yeah, I, I hadn't heard about the story either until uh, until Jonesy mentioned it. But uh, c- clearly, he has no symptoms. Um, but the rules are the rules, and uh, I feel for the guy because you know, obviously, a six shot lead going into the last round is a pretty good place to be. And uh, yeah, it, it, it sort of brings up the converse, the sort of discussion of you know when. When everyone, for example, in a team, you know, when we've got our 90 people, 100 people vaccinated, staff, riders, everyone's vaccinated, and then we go to races, when is that point going to be where if someone tests positive, that it's okay? Because at the end of the day, if everyone in our bubble is vaccinated, well, then we're no risk to anybody else. And then by the time we're all vaccinated, there's certainly going to be a, ma- a massive percentage of the population who are vaccinated. And, you know, you don't get sent home from having a, a common cold. And if you've had two jabs of the vaccine and everyone around you has been vaccinated, well, then there's actually no risk to anyone involved. So it's going to be really interesting what plays out 
more so, I think, for next year because I think the process will still be happening all all of this season. But, for example, for races next year, at, in for example, at Tour Down Under, you know, what is the risk of bringing people to Australia when everyone has been vaccinated? In Australia? You would hope the Australian government can vac- vaccinate everyone in Australia by January as well. So, uh, and, you know, people who... <laughs> Not the way they're going at the moment, mate. Not the way they're going at the moment. But anyway, it's another. No, story. no, no. Well, there's there's, a, there's an election in October, mate. They, they might get a wriggle on. <laughs> well, exactly right. So, um, you know, we've been uh, watching as you will, of course, the the, the Dauphin A, which is a, a always a wonderful race, and hey. Our, our Aussie mate uh, Richie has uh, has hit the lead, uh, and, and a. Good, good ride by uh, uh, Damien Housen as well to be right up there in, at, at the pointy end when the big hitters are having a go. So uh, what are your thoughts on, on the Dauphin A with one day to go, mate? Yeah, well, also, as I mentioned, great rides by Jack Haig and Ben O'Connor. Uh, so we've got uh, four Aussies really featuring very well in, in the Dauphin A. Well, today's the last day, so uh, it's going to be a big one. Uh, movie stars tactics are going to be pretty simple. Uh, they're going to try to ambush Ineos. Uh, the problem is how it's going to be pretty hard to ambush Ineos with pretty much their Tour de France team. Even though they're not at 100% form at the moment, uh, they're going to try to ambush uh, Richie, put someone up the road, and if they've got the legs, try to have that person, whether it's Mars or, or Valverde or Lopez, go across. But I think it's going to be pretty hard, uh, pretty hard for um for anyone to crack Ineos on, on in one stage, and that's that's all we're talking about now. I think Richie's in pole position to, to win the Dauphiné, really. Yeah, so it's interesting. It used to be, you know, Dauphiné was the the uh, race that they used to set up for, lead up for the Tour de France. Some would go to Tour de Suisse, and now we've got the two, two of the big hot favourites are doing Slovenia instead because it's Slovenian, I suppose. Um, but uh, well, Roger, you, Roger's not even racing. Oh no, that's right. He's not. That's right. He's not even racing. Rodzik's not even yeah. racing. Pod, yeah, Podcast okay. is doing the Slovenia. Rodzik's yeah, yeah, not even yeah. racing. And then yeah. you'll see you'll see Carapaz and and the vast majority of our Tour de France team are going to be at Tour of Switzerland. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you about that. It starts uh, tonight as well with a with a 10k time trial. But um, Chavez, we're all really keen to see how he's going. He's shown some really good form earlier this year um, in, in one-day races as well as in the tours. So uh, we're looking forward to it. So uh, what's your feedback there? Well, he finished, he finished third in a one-day race in Switzerland on Friday. So uh, he went to the line. He was third in a three-up kick, but he went to the wrong line with uh, Eddie Shelley from Bora, who won. And also uh, Rui Costa from UAE, former world champion. The three of them went to the line together. Uh, and that was on Friday. So that was a, 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 a Grand Prix Gippingen. That was a pre-Tour of Switzerland <laughs> one-day race that the boys did. Right, race that many years ago myself, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the same circuit, mate. Probably the same circuit. Um, and so he was third. He was third. No, I expect big things from Esteban in, in Tour of Switzerland. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised there if he was uh, He was pretty close to a podium uh, overall and, uh, and obviously feature in the mountain stages. It's a very different time trials in the Tour of Switzerland to the Tour de France. So they've got a 10K prologue this afternoon, which is flat. But then the, but then the, the major time trial is uh, it's basically 10K up a hill <laughs> yeah. uh, and 10K down at the other yeah. side. So it's 
It's certainly not what we've got in the Tour de France. In the Tour de France, we've got 60 kilometres of dead flat time trialling, uh, whereas Tour of Switzerland, it's 30K, uh, 10 flat, and th- that's this afternoon. And then the, the basically, it's a hill time trial with a, with a descent down to the line. But now he's in super shape, and uh, I would expect uh, big things from him at Tour of Switzerland. That was part one uh, of the interview with what? <laughs> now, just to clarify, uh, John Rahm is uh, Spanish, the golfer. And it was two million Australian. I know that was chiseling at a lot of people watching that, just to clear that up. But no, it was unbelievable footage. I mean, it's got nothing. I to think the, it was the event in South Africa. No, it was in America. Oh, was it? Okay. I don't know where you pluck that. Uh, I <laughs> where the South African came from. No, no, no. But what? What me is Phil Liggett. Phil Liggett is in South Africa. That's right. There you go. <laughs> But what baffled me with that whole thing is like apparently they, they were told the results at 4.30 or whatever and they're claiming, I oh, know we had to double check, triple check. But here you got a guy, I mean, they said he's asymptomatic, but he's still COVID positive and he's walking around the crowds and, you know, let him finish the last three or four holes and then they break it to him at the end and just surreal, absolutely surreal. So anyway, uh, he's part two of the chat. With John and Matt White. And the same amongst with, uh, others, amongst others, we've got Michael Matthews yeah. there. Luke, we've got Lucas Hamilton there. A really good squad there. Yeah. And so, exactly, was going to, Michael Matthews um, didn't quite get the, what we hoped out of the classic season. He was right in the mix all the time and his form was good. So, um, of course, he'll be, uh, you know, going for. Uh, um, I reckon he'll have a go for that green jersey, but you'll make that decision, I suppose, with what, what happens on the road. But but why wouldn't he? Yeah, well, the first focus for Michael at the tour will be the first two days because the first two days are uphill finishes. So we'll, we've got a plan in place and we'll obviously reassess after we see those first two days. But first things first, and that's to get the race legs back on in Tour of Switzerland. He's uh, done a really good camp up there in Lavigno in, uh, in Italy. Drove down, raced on uh, on Friday. I think he was fifth or sixth on Friday. He was second or third in the kick uh, behind. And uh, Tour of Swiss starts today. And this is the, obviously because of our, uh, obviously, majority of the team being Southern Hemisphere, they don't have uh, their national championships the weekend uh, in between. I think the one or two Europeans who go to the Tour with us, I don't even think they're riding the Nationals anyway. I think they're just going to focus on recovering from Tour of Switzerland. And uh, so we're going to go into the Tour, the Tour de France a day or two early just to, because we want to have a look at the, a really good look at those first two stages. And to do that, we've got to go in early to have a little bit more time. Because uh, even though uh, we're still in a uh, pandemic, the, the start of the Tour de France is pretty, pretty frantic. And um, just that extra day will give us uh, some chances to check it. Murder Breton, we know. Uh, that's stage two. We've done it stage a few times in the Tour de France. But uh, the day one climb is a, is a new one. It's a new one. So we, need, we, we want to check out the last half of that stage and uh, know it oh, like the back of our hand. I'm looking forward to seeing how Lucas Hamilton goes because I, I've been watching. I always sort of compare him with Jack Haig in that they're similar in lots of ways and their development's been similar. Jack's really, you know, um, been given uh, a you know, new lease of life by, by, by Ray to have a go in this year's tour by the sounds of it. And uh, I, I can just see um, uh, uh, that um, Lucas could do the same. I really think he it's his time to fly. So how's his form been just over the last few weeks? Yeah, good. He's good. He's got a uh, little minor injury that uh, was going to take him to Tour of Switzerland. But uh, he's been building steadily for for, for the main goal, uh, and that's and that's the tour. So he's uh, 
he's he's going well. Uh, Switzerland, he's going to be at a good level, but uh, he's a couple of years younger than Jack. I think he's three years at least younger than Jack. But uh, now we're looking forward to uh, seeing what Lucas can do in, in July. So uh, you you've got a team in Slovenia as well. Who's riding Slovenia? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a bit of a mixed bag, guys. Some of the, we got one or two coming across from the Dolphin A. Our younger crew. Uh, the unfortunate thing is, for general classification, they're going to be coming up against the defending winner of the Tour de France, <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's using it as his only race to prepare for the Tour. But there, there's some sprint stages there. We've, we've got Alex Edmondson and Rob Stannard, and we've still got to make a decision on Caden Groves because Caden Groves actually uh, went down and, cra- and crashed out of the Dolphin A on uh, about 48 hours ago uh, and banged his yeah. knee up uh, and got, got a lot of swelling around the kneecap. So we're going to have to make a decision in the next uh, the next 24 to, 24, 24 to 48 hours whether whether he can uh, still go to uh, Tour of Slovenia. So when the, the guys will do the uh, the Tour de Suisse, um, and they're still going to have like a week and a half for the tour, what, will they just go into altitude, or is there another race planned? No, the, the, the next week. So they've got thirteen days for the Tour de France from the finish of the Tour of Switzerland, and yeah. the, the the weekend after is the national championships weekend. So unless they're doing their national championships, there's no racing. They all will go back to different environments. Some guys will be at sort of sea level in Girona. Some guys will go back to their place in Andorra, which some guys live at altitude. Some guys live at semi-altitude. Depending on who, it really is individual. Uh, some guys will want to stay away from altitude in that last 10 days. Uh, because, and some guys will just want, they'll just want to recover as best they can. But, yeah, very, very individual were their, their run-ins to the, uh, into the tour. I've been uh, I've been loving the Dauphiné, and it's just continued the same frenetic <laughs> type of racing that's been at most, most races uh, <laughs> for the last eighteen months. You know, it's just been amazing what, what, what's happened. Um, and every stage has been a lot of aggression. You mentioned young uh, young O'Connor; he, he was having having a bash up the road in the early days. I mean, I like that Lawson Craddock. He's been around for a while, Lawson, but uh, gee, he's been. Uh, He's been up the road every day, and uh, <laughs> he's a bit of a character. Uh, you, did you were you involved with him at some stage? No, no. I think we missed each other by a year uh, at uh, Garmin there, and um, no, he, he has been riding really aggressive. And I think the reason, well, I think that's the general style of racing. Uh, that's that's how the guys race these days. Yeah. But the Dolphiné, uh, because a lot of teams do send their sort of Tour de France longer lists uh, to the Dolphiné. There's a lot of guys still still vying for selection in some teams, and I think that that also adds to the uh, to the aggression of that race, especially that um, there's, you know, especially in the French teams. That's you now the Dauphiné is up. No, there's there's the Tour de France, and then there's Paris Nice and the Dauphiné, and uh, that's as big as it gets for the French teams. And if you if you're in a French team and you, and you're moving well at the Dauphiné, well, that's a it's a way to guarantee or solidify your spot in the in the Tour de France roster. Yeah, I see that uh, young uh, O'Connor just uh, signed off another three years with uh, um, was it H2R. So uh, impressive, impressive that they've got snaffled him. Yeah, they like, they like what they see. He's, he's been yeah. he's been aggressive this year, yeah. and uh, yeah, he's a, he's a he had some really good rides uh, a couple of years ago in Dimension Data, and then last year at the back end of the Giro. 
And uh, even this year, he's been aggressive wherever he's ridden, and uh, and you know, that's that's a big value, especially on a French team where you know they, especially that team's had a big overhaul. Uh, you know, they lost Bardet, they lost uh, Pierre Latour, they've lost their GC riders, and they're actually pretty short on climbers. Whereas they they really heavily invested in their classics teams around Greg Van Amrat and other and you know Bob Jungles and those sort of guys. So they needed some climbers, and obviously Ben's what they're looking for. Now, I know you're about to uh, head off for a pedal with uh, your young fella, the world champion I saw walk past in the background. So uh, appreciate uh, you coming on board, mate, and we look forward to uh, having a chat when you get uh, up for the last couple of days of the Tour de Suisse, and uh, we'll get you all ripe and ready for uh, our regulars during the Tour de France. But uh, thanks, Heath, bud. Yeah, no worries. Now, I've got, I've got – both boys are coming out today. So the uh, oldest one, he rides – when I'm home, I take him out riding a fair bit. But the little one, who's only seven, uh, you saw Alejandro Valverde's great grandson. Um, <laughs> he he uh, he's it's the first ride he's, he's done with the two of us, so he's pretty pretty excited. And we're gonna, we actually got to ride directly to an athletics carnival, which my, my daughter's competing in. And I'll drop him off there uh, with his mum, and then me and me and my older son Jordy will, will keep going to a bit of a more of a loop. And come back and watch uh, watch my daughter because she's got I think she's got three or four events today. So we'll pop in and and, uh, and see the see all the events. But it's uh, you think racing's hectic. I get you get back home, <laughs> uh, kid kid sport. Uh, it, it's the middle. Well, it's not some, not quite summer here, but it's it's right at the end of the season with uh, with all the sports that, that my kids play. So it's uh, it's been really busy. Football yesterday. Athletics today, we've got handball on Monday, uh, and then just uh, spending some good quality time with the family before I head off again to be in the party. Uh, I know what it's like, mate. Even uh, I've got uh, grandkids uh, duty now, so I had to take my my uh, nine-year-old grandson, Jimmy, uh, to um, soccer game this morning. Uh, left, left about 8 o'clock. Uh, yeah. And he was goalie because his father is Scottish and was a, a, a pro uh, goalie back a few years ago. So uh, yeah. he's taken after his dad and he was jumping in and, and stopped a, a couple of rippers. He was a bit disappointed. He let one filter through as he stopped it and rolled underneath. He flipped over his arm and, oh, he was dark on that. But uh, no, it's a lot of fun. It was uh, part two. We got part three, but it, it was just talking up uh, Alejandro Valverde and uh, his rise up the ranks and we already covered that earlier. What are, what are your thoughts from the chat with Whitey Scooter? Um, well, one of the things you mentioned you know, about the Dauphiné with riders that are still, you know, you threw the question to him about Lawson Craddock, Johnny, but um, riders still trying to, you know, make their Tour de France teams. And right now, this the final stage that's going on, I just checked the life stats of the Dauphiné. There are 19 riders in the lead group and eight of them are French. And what he was saying, you know, how the French teams in particular, they're all fighting, you know, to be in their biggest race. You know, it's like yeah. the Aussies wanting yeah. to ride the Tour Down Under. Yeah. So eight of eight of the 19 riders up the road in this final stage are French. Um, so that's, yeah, proof proof in the pudding that, uh, yeah, it, people are still trying to, to, to fight their way in if it's not confirmed if they're riding the Tour de France or not in, in their particular teams, which is interesting. Um, good to hear that uh, these boys are, are riding. So this is non, you know, racing stuff here, but uh, and his daughter's doing athletics because you know, look, some people may not realise or remember that um, Whitey's wife was a former Olympian in athletics as well. So she has some influence over her daughter at least, but not the boys. And very famous Olympian, uh, Jane Savile, 
Uh, that yeah, that exactly. Sydney 2000. Oh, famous well, when she was one of the most tragic moments the of any Olympics. Yes, I remember. Mm. I remember sitting at the track one day watching the races um, uh, at uh, at the velodrome, and sitting next to me were Shane Kelly on one side and Jane on the other. Two of the most famous incidents in Olympic history: one when he pulled his foot out. And uh, one gets stopped uh, running, about to run in, in and get a gold medal. So I think I mm. mentioned it, but uh, whatever. <laughs> that would have gone out well. <laughs> well, do you remember? Do you remember what Jane? I can't remember exactly what was said, but the, the, whoever was the first journalist to get to her, and she was distraught. You know, remember that anyone that if, if you haven't seen it, look it up. Jane Savile, you know, the the race walk from the two thousand Olympic Games, being disqualified, coming down through the tunnel to come into the the stadium. Miles in front, she was on her way to a gold and, and got disqualified um, at the end. But she was so distraught. I think the journalist said, "You know, what? What do you want? Is this? Is there anything you need?" And she said something like, "Just get me a gun." Like oh, that was gee. the comment. Like, yeah, yeah, quite. Well, that, to shoot the journalist who asked the yeah, question. But, yeah, yeah, or yeah. the official, or the official yeah. gave her the red panel. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's obviously been a long show, boys. We're almost at an hour thirty. What are your final thoughts? Obviously, there's a lot going on. Um, Iffy with the the Dolphin, do you think Richie's going to win it? I do. I think Richie's going to, to win it. But I'm just you know to have four Aussies in the top twenty. You know, we're three in the top ten. I'm looking. Look, I I do believe Richie win. Uh, uh, the, the uh, his team are the strongest in the Aus Grenadiers. Uh, they'll control this bike race. Um, I'm really looking forward to to Jack Hay watching what he, what he does as well. It, uh, I was very impressed with him yesterday. Uh, young Ben O'Connor as well, uh, and of course Damien Housen. You know he's still like Damien's seventeenth. He's only a minute fifty five down, so um, uh, it's going to be a, a ripper of a stage. And interesting for for Damo. So in the in the break of the runners in the break, the highest on the overall classification is um, Patrick Conrad. He's at two minutes fifty one. Obviously, Damo's a little bit further up on the GC, but two fifty down. You don't think that they're going to give that, let that break go all the way to the finish, right? So they're going to have to bring that back. But that might have been a group that Damo could have slipped in, you know, being in the position that he's in. Um, if you had the ambitions of, you know, trying to maybe move up on the overall classification, perhaps. But you know, obviously, he's not there though. Um, it's a, it's um, it's a turning point, isn't it? I think for Australian cycling. You know, Richie's not getting any younger, but he does look to be getting even a bit stronger, which is great. But to see guys like Stora and Hamilton riding well, you know, not for the win, but they were riding really well at the Giro. Throw in Jai Hindley when he gets himself sorted again, he'll be back. Then you look at the guys, you know, Jack Haig and um, Ben O'Connor, we're in a pretty good place. Um, we don't yeah. have the Cadell Evans type of person that from the first time he turned professional, everyone thought, wow, this guy could win the Tour de France. We don't have someone like that just yet. But we've got a bunch of hard workers that are just pegging their way along um, and looking for some good top 10, top five results in, in the next couple of years, which is great. Uh, we've got final comments. Uh, Linda, she says, good on you, Ify, for alluding to the shambolic vaccination rollout in Australia. It's a national scandal. Good on you, John. Mm. Uh, Gary okay. Tilly says, it's been a long show, but bloody better than Celebrity Apprentice. <laughs> oh, I forgot that was on. We're gonna to have to wrap it up. I'm actually a fan. I disagree, Gary. I love that show. More oh, sugar. You gotta be kidding. You gotta be kidding. I anyway. love it. Anyway, really? yeah. Anyway, I don't watch any of that stuff. Like, I honestly don't watch. Uh, well, it's basically Netflix stuff these days, but um, or 
or racing. I, there's not, none of those, like, you know, the Big Brother and um, was it House, not Housewives, the um, Bachelor and, you know, Married at uh, First Sight, all that stuff. Yeah, my, my, daughter, I, my younger daughter, she, she said to me one day, this would have been about, about four years ago, and she said, oh, Dad, there's a show called um, Married at First Sight. You cannot watch it. That's terrible for people getting married at first sight without falling in love first. Don't watch that show, Dad. And I thought, you know what, Leilani, you're spot on. Crap show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Shots fired. I'll tell, tell you one good show that Kate Winslet won. If you are into uh, it's on binge, uh, it's called Mayor of East Town, I think it's called. Oh, Drew. yeah, with a young, young Geelong boy in it who stars in it. Who's that? Geelong star. Oh. What's his name? Yeah. Oh, right. I think I know oh. who you're talking about. I don't want to talk about him because I could give. The plot away, but watch it. It's no, no, but he's the, he's the no, he's the the um one of the know, main kids in it. Academy Award winner and whatever. It's a long board. I can't even think of his name. Terrible. Oh, he's very popular. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm more. I'm more. Uh, look, I don't watch it. I'm more into the the uh, the, the porn shows. I like those ones where we, you know where you buy and sell that uh, that that uh, stuff. You know what are they called? Um, porn you know? stars. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I thought it was one of those Willis moments. What are you talking about, John? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, fellas. Whenever we get that point of the show where we're waffling, it's time to cue the music. Uh, thanks again. Thanks, Ify. Thanks, Scooter. Thanks, guys, for tuning in, as we always say. Tell your mates about the show, youtube.com forward slash the detour podcast. Like, share, subscribe. Uh, give us a star rating on uh, on iTunes as well. But thanks again for all your support. And we'll see you again soon on the detour. We've got a big couple of weeks leading up to the Tour de France. See you soon. This is the winning-